So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed his, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Thank you, Connor. God, I thank you for my brother Tony, and I just thank you for his um, leadership in this church and his willingness to to lead us just in a in a direction that um, you're leading us here in Jeff City. I pray for him today as he's teaching about missions that he would be able to um, just strike chords in our hearts that would make us strive to go into the world, whether it be in Jefferson City or whether it be in Rio de Janeiro or Japan. God, wherever you have our hearts, that you would um, not let us stifle those those feelings and those calls to mission. Um, I just pray that uh, you would give Tony a, a clarity in his mind to be able to preach to us and preach whatever you have to share to us. And I ask this, God, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brant. Um, a lot of us kind of chuckled a little bit ago whenever... Um, Brant mentioned the fact that we, we live in kind of a little bit of a messed up world, right? He said, our government, whatever, whatever is going on there, Lord help us. Um, and we all chuckled for a reason, right? It, what a time to be alive. Um, I don't think I've ever been alive at a time whenever there was more controversy, not just in the news, but between brothers and sisters um, around the cooler at work, certainly on Facebook, um, there are so many controversies right now. Healthcare reform, immigration, national security, um, the influence of other nations on our own, um, a looming job problem that if you're not already experiencing you might experience. If you read the news, you would understand that our nation is at a point in its history where people don't agree and where everything seems messed up. Um, but if you can look beyond our nation, just a little bit, into the majority world, we used to call it the third world country, but, but really it's most people who live. If you look beyond our country and, and beyond our prosperity into the majority world, you would find all of the same problems amped up, right? If you think healthcare here is rough, um, try getting healthcare in the middle of Africa. If you think that we have immigration problems, um, live in a part of the world where the borders are fuzzy, and violence breaks out constantly. We do have problems. So does the rest of the world. It's big. And it seems daunting. Um, I guess it doesn't just seem daunting. It is daunting. Things are not as they should be. Would anyone look at the news on a day-to-day -day basis and say, yeah, this is a good day. 
if we have good news, there's someone somewhere that doesn't. And because things are not as they should be here or abroad, there are a thousand messages that get pushed at us day by day, promoting a thousand different movements, right? We've talked about this before. You've seen it. Um, there's going to be a march. There's going to be a protest. Please give to this cause. You know, regardless of what, what side of the political spectrum you're on, there are a thousand people calling out to you, join me as we change the world, right? We all know that the world is, uh, is, is messed up in a thousand ways, and so that call, join me, let's make a difference, is a powerful one. And the truth is, is that a lot of the movements that get started really do lead to change. Movements are not bad in and of themselves. I think what's frustrating about any one movement, whether it's um, you know, emancipation or the civil rights movement, as we've seen powerful in our own country, or whether it's uh, a movement for equality among the genders, is that things never seem to end, right? You have a movement that succeeds part of the way or all of the way, and then tomorrow comes, and there's another problem. There's another crisis. There's another event. A thousand movements with billions of dollars unable to fix the world. So that's the world we live in. And if we look back, if we, if we peer back through the ages to the time of Christ, we find a world much like our own that was a world of turmoil. I'm going to go ahead and read the first verse of our text again. So this is Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they'd come together, they asked him, him being Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus had come into the world. He'd preached um, a, a message of love and compassion and forgiveness and repentance. And then he, he went to the cross. Um, instead of becoming a king that conquered, he marched into Jerusalem, not in in, in governmental triumph, not in military triumph, but in spiritual triumph. He was accused for things he didn't do, and he was crucified, even though he was the only one who had ever lived on this earth that had not committed a sin. And when things seemed at their darkest, God raised him from the dead. God vindicated him, saying, this is my son, see? He is who he says he is. He died for our sins and was risen again. And even though things had been dark from the point of view of the disciples who were sad that he had died, now that he was alive again, they looked at their world and they looked at him and they saw his power and his grandeur and they said, well, we know that whenever you marched in Jerusalem, that wasn't the time. But surely, now that you're risen from the dead, now that you've shown your power, now that no one can doubt 
that you are the son of God is now the time? They lived in a nation that was under the subjugation of foreigners. They were seen as rabble-rousers and troublemakers. Time and time again, there had been revolts and mass executions. And they longed for a time whenever they could worship freely, when they wouldn't be under the thumb of an oppressive foreign army. And they see Jesus in all of his power, and they ask the question, is now the time? This world isn't right. Is, can, can you fix it now? They knew who they were talking to. They were convinced of his power and authority. And so they asked him to restore the kingdom to Israel, to make all things right. Now, whenever they asked Jesus if now was the time for the restoration, they weren't just making something up. Um, they knew that God, through his prophets, had promised a Messiah would come and that there would be a new kingdom, that all the things that were messed up would be fixed. They had heard the promise. They knew the promise. And so it wasn't a random question they asked. They were, they were asking an honest, good question that came from their knowledge of Scripture. And we see an example of one of these passages in Ezekiel chapter 36, which should come up on the screen. I'm going to read out of Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. It says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. These are the promises that the disciples believed. And whenever they went to Jesus and asked, Is it time for you to restore the nation to Israel? This is what they were talking about. They acknowledged that they and their whole country was in sin and in decay. And they knew that only God could fix it. Jesus was the one to do it. They longed for a better nation. One that was free of corruption. And then in these passages, we also see a longing 
for a better self, right? Not just the nation, but we ourselves would be changed and fixed. Closeness to God would be restored. And so the disciples who had walked with Jesus for three years and likely felt very close to him as they saw him day to day and were witnesses to his power, asked the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Their question is our question, right? Lord, are you going to fix things now? Will you change the world now? Jesus responds in Acts 1, verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know. Notice that he doesn't shame their question. He doesn't look at them and say, Your question's dumb, guys. He doesn't say, you're asking the wrong question. He doesn't cast them aside and say, you just need to be more spiritual. You're not, you, don't have, you need to look at this a different way. Um, because their concerns and our concerns along this line, um, aren't, they're not foolish. The desire for a better world, a better nation, is a good desire. We hope for a better kingdom. Um, Romans 10 tells us, that the earth itself groans for the revealing of the sons of God. Um, in the book of Revelation, we see God creating a new heavens and a new earth where perfection reigns. Um, the hope is real and the hope is good. And so he doesn't shame them. He doesn't push them aside. Rather, he answers their question plainly. Um, it's the only answer that he can give. It's not for you to know the times. They want to see the world in all of its perfection as it was intended to be. And they want to know when. And Jesus says it's not for you to know. Who likes that answer? Anybody going to raise their hand on that? You know, imagine you, you, you get an audience with God and you get to ask a question and you ask a question and he looks at you and says, oh, that's, that's just not for you to know. That's not for you. It's not your place. And so we could look at this and ask the question, okay, it's, it's not our place, but why? Why shouldn't we know? Why can't you tell us? Um, the Bible's silent on this. But my guess is, is that over 2,000 years after the words were spoken, we can come up with a couple of good guesses. Um, first off, if God had told them, you got a couple millennia before I'm going to return and set up a literal kingdom here, how do you think that made them feel? We're all going to be dead. It's not going to be us. You know, in a sense, we're all going to be like Moses, who <laughs> led the Exodus but never saw the promised land. 
How discouraging would that have been? If they would have seen the full scope of the task that they were called to start and know that they would never see it come to full fruition. And now imagine that it hadn't been God's will for it to be as long as it has been. Imagine that it was going to be just a couple of years from then, right? Imagine he looks at them and says, well, we're not going to do it right now, but in a couple of years I'm going to come back. We're going to take care of it then. Um, we know from um, other books in the Bible that, that whenever you believe the Lord's return is coming immediately right now, that that can lead to an apathy. Um, so in the, the church at Thessalonica, there were members of the church who stopped working. They like quit their jobs and they were just hanging out because Jesus is coming back any time now. And so let's just live off of savings and party it up. And, and Paul writes to them and says, no, 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 no. Don't like if any of you aren't working, you don't get to eat. Like that's my rule. Um, God does not give them the time because knowing the time, like if we knew when Jesus was going to come back today, um, we would lose track of the things that we need to focus on. And so they had a legitimate longing um, for the world to be different, but Jesus redirected their focus. We see this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus takes their focus off of that first promise in Ezekiel, the national renewal, and shifts it to the second. Right? The personal renewal, the change of heart. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the truth. Um, have, have any of you ever wished you could meet Jesus in person? Right? You have doubts, or you have struggles, or you have questions, and you just wish you could meet him in person. Has anyone here ever thought to themselves, if I could just have witnessed the miracles, I wouldn't have the struggles that I, I have? If I could have just walked the earth with Jesus like the apostles, I'd be able to be the, the person I need to be. Am I the only one that's thought that? We've got a few of us. Hear me on this. Again, this is the truth. Walking the earth with Jesus wasn't enough for the apostles. Like, let that thought sink in. Being with him day by day for three years, learning directly from him, hear, hearing the parables, seeing the miracles, being the witnesses to his resurrection wasn't enough for them. We need the Holy Spirit. They needed the Holy Spirit. Jesus had taught them on this particular 
subject before. I'm going to read a verse out of John 16, starting in verse 5. Again, it should be on the screen. In John 16, verse 5, Jesus says, But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit. We need him to convict us and the world of sin. Get this. The world at one time saw Jesus physically. They were witnesses to him, to his righteousness and his grace and his mercy, and they still crucified him. They saw the Son of God in the flesh, and sin still ruled in their hearts. weren't convicted of it. They didn't believe. They had witnessed all of his righteousness. And they denied it. Um, the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish religious ruling council, got together at one point, and the high priest said, well, it's better that one man die for the nation rather than the whole world die. Now, he was talking about the Romans. Let's kill this Jesus before the Romans think there's a revolt and they start coming after us. They thought they were doing a good thing. They thought that their act of pursuing the death of Jesus was a righteous act. And yet the resurrection of Christ proved that he was the righteous one. Seeing Jesus' righteousness wasn't enough. And then concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. Some of, your, some of your translations may talk about the ruler as the prince of the world. The spirit of the age is the thought. The idea here is that there is a spiritual power, the enemy, Satan, that rules in this sinful world. And people follow him wholeheartedly. Seeing Christ on earth wasn't enough. We need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. You saw in Ezekiel, I'll take your heart of stone, that hard thing that the Lord, his word and his truth can't enter into, and I'll replace it with a heart of flesh, something permeable. 
Again, the physical presence of Jesus wasn't enough to remove spiritual blindness back then. And the physical presence of Jesus alone would not be enough to remove spiritual blindness in us today. We could witness a miracle. We could see the resurrection. And in time, start to forget. I mean, not forget that it happened, but forget the impact. It's kind of like, for those of you who have been in love, right? You fall in love with someone. It's a good love. It's pure love. It's a miracle in and of itself. But one day comes along, (laughs) and there's a fight. And it's not that you forget but it's faded. It's the feeling's just not as strong anymore. Friends, we could witness God in all of his power, and because of sin in our lives, the feeling of that experience fade. The impact of that experience fade. We need the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our souls. We need him to break through the hardness in our heart. And so he says, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit, but then he follows up and says that you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. And so they've asked a question about when the world would be changed. God redirects that, talks about the importance of the Holy Spirit, and then he says, I have something for you to do. It's not that your question is unimportant. It's just that it's not related to the primary task that I have for you and for the rest of the church. He says to them, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be the ones who proclaim who I am, who tell others about me, about what I've done and what I've accomplished. You'll be the witnesses to the power of my name so that whenever you preach to others, just call upon the name of the Lord. They'll be saved. You'll be my witnesses. And then he mentions four areas where they'll be witnesses. First off, he mentions Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. It was the center of Jewish religious life in the world. And Jesus says, you're going to be witnesses there, where you live right now. And if you look through the book of Acts, you'll see that that in Jerusalem there's an explosion of conversions in just a a little over a month after this. Thousands of people become Christians. And as the testimony of Christ overflows from Jerusalem, we see it going into the surrounding region. So you'll be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and then in Judea. If Jefferson City is the capital of Missouri... Um, Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. Uh, Judea was the region that surrounded it. It's like the state. And so the word of the Lord spilled over into Judea. He said, you're also going to be my witnesses in Samaria. And so the gospel is not just meant for you in this city, for, for even good Jews. It's meant to go out into Samaria. Samaria was like the Arkansas 
you know, compared to Missouri. It was the place that no one liked and wanted to go. I'm told if you're a patriotic Missourian that you don't like Arkansas. I come from Indiana. That's, it's Kentucky to us in Indiana. Like, we don't, we don't go to Kentucky. It's a joke. Um, like, I, we, I mean, we say don't go there, but really, you know, we vacation in those places. Um, Samaria, it wasn't just a regional rivalry as in we don't like your sports teams. Jews looked at Samaritans as half-breeds, as worthless, as no-good compromisers. And yet here Jesus is telling the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria, just as he had been. And then he says, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so the picture here is the word of the Lord proceeding out of Jerusalem on and on and on until it filled the entire globe. It was international. It was gradual. The kingdom that they longed for was coming, but not in the way of the world. Not at the point of a spear. Not through the use of a conquering army. It would be through their testimony and their outreach and their ministry in the world. So let's talk about us for a moment. In 2,000 years, not a lot has changed. At least not in a worldly sense. The church has indeed grown. It spilled out of Jerusalem and has reached all the way across oceans. But we still have a lot of dysfunction. People still rage at each other, steal from one another, kill one another. Brothers and sisters still war in their own households. And we want change, right? The application of this, I don't want it to be, don't get involved in good causes. Like maybe a different person would stand up here and say, ignore all of those causes in the world that would distract you. Some of them are good. I don't want to tell you to ignore, you know, a call to a, you know, political thing or to a protest or to you know, giving money to a good cause. But I do want to tell us this. We need to lean into a bigger hope because it doesn't matter how hard we try or what movement we follow. There's always going to be another problem. If we truly want the world to change, we have to lean into something bigger than all of the small causes that we have. We have to lean into something bigger than just one candidate or one party or one hashtag. We have to lean into a bigger hope. And that hope is not just the changing of a nation, but the redemption of souls worldwide. People are dying and going to hell. That's a Christian cliche. Like maybe we get tired of hearing that. 
But the truth is, is judgment and condemnation is upon people who are in their sin. And Christ is the only way toward salvation. He died to absorb the wrath that we deserve. And if we believe that as Christians, and that's at the center of why we're here, then as we look around us and see people who don't know Christ and reject Christ, friends, they will die and be judged. This life, as messed up as it is, will be the best thing they ever experience because it only gets worse. And what I want to call us to is to lean into a bigger hope, a hope not just for the functionality of our nation, but for the redemption of the souls of our neighbors and our family. For more people to praise the name of God. Lean into a bigger hope. Listen to worship songs on your phone. Read good books. Try to find friends that care about the spiritual state of others. Do whatever you need to put yourself in a position to have your views changed. The second thing I want to call us to is to prayer. And a specific prayer at that. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to change us. If the disciples themselves needed the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, how can we go as Christians from day to day to day thinking that we're doing fine without him? Just making our own good decisions. Just doing what seems right or what feels right. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would live powerfully within us. We want his voice to boom within us. For many of us, the Holy Spirit's voice is but a whisper that we are in the habit of ignoring. How can we be changed? How can our neighbors be saved if we stick them in a corner of our mind? And just do what we want to do. Pray that the Holy Spirit would live within you powerfully. And pray that he would give you the strength not to quiet him. So that him that comes to mind as you're about to sin. Is the voice of the Holy Spirit listening to it. And the last bit of application that I have is this. Our calling is the same as the apostles. We are to join God on his mission. We should reach out to our neighbors. Jeff City is your Jerusalem. Knock on the door of the person who lives next to you. Have a relationship with them. How will they know who Christ is? Romans 10 says, if no one is sent.
We should support local efforts for ministry, the ministries that our church does. We should be involved in the planting of churches throughout the country. Our church is. Um, and we should support international missions. And I should have a photo of the team that Chorus Columbia sent. We got that? Yeah. Some of you may recognize some of these folk. Um, a couple of them have come down and done music for us before. Heather's got a sister and a brother-in-law that are in the photo. Um, this, are they, do you know they back yet, Heather? They're back Monday. They've been in Brazil working with the poorest of the poor to tell them about Jesus. Next year, I would love for some of us to be standing with them. I've personally never gone on a mission trip, so I think next year I'm going to have to. Um, our church, through our giving, supports the cause of international missions, but there are ways that we can be involved too. Um, you're already involved in a church plant. That's what we are. Um, but just because we're reaching out here doesn't mean we don't want to be involved elsewhere. So I'm going to ask everyone in this room right now to begin praying about going on a missions trip next year. And we'll announce more details with that as it comes. Um, we're also connected with a missionary team in Japan. So there's the possibility of trips there in the future as well. Um, we'll get you more information as it comes. So lean into a bigger hope. Pray for the Holy Spirit and join in on God's mission. Um, do that with us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all that you have done to save us. You came to an earth and lived among us.